Genesis chapter 49. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to your to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water. You shall have, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men. And in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will dispense them, disperse them in Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foil to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes the garments in wine. And his robes in blood of grapes, his eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk. This is God's holy inspired word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the help and strength and power of your Spirit. And we ask that you be with us this morning, that you would help us to understand, to see and to hear, and ultimately to believe, Lord. Pray that you would be with us now as we consider your word. I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. My wife sends her love and her desire to be with the saints. She texted me while we were singing and said, how I missed singing together with the saints, it bringing tears to my eyes to hear you all sing together. She's listening now. This morning we uh, read the final words of Israel. And as we shall see, these are no ordinary final words. These final words of Israel, they are God-breathed words. These final words are Holy Spirit-inspired words. They are Christ-centered words. They are words that they capture our souls. They inspire hope in those who are looking forward to salvation. And we see that our hope, at least for them, and even for us now, is still yet in the future. Not just for the future of the sons of Israel, but also for our future, for your future and for my future. In these final words of Israel, in this 49th chapter, one chapter left to go, if you will, a chapter and a half. We are given a prophetic message from God Almighty concerning the salvation Not just of the people or the sons of Jacob, but for all people. God is providing a a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of light for all people. And one who will come. One whose name is revealed to us. 
His name is Shiloh. As Israel was faced with death, the last great enemy, he held fast to the to faith in the covenant-keeping God and knows that he will not be forsaken in his final moments. And here in this 49th chapter, Jacob gathers his 12 sons and distributes to them their inheritances. He speaks to them according to the order of their birth. And when he speaks, again, it is a, a prophetic message, a prophetic word concerning the plans and purposes of God. And so this morning, with God's help, we will look together at the first four sons of Israel. But we will focus and center our attention on the fourth son who receives a spiritual blessing and who was promised that through him Shiloh would come. Let's begin then with uh, our first point. Number one, the scepter prophesied. The scepter prophesied. In Genesis chapter 48, we are told that the time had come for Israel to die. And so with death approaching, Jacob made preparations to distribute his inheritance to his children. And for the most part, the tradition was that the oldest son would receive the inheritance or what is known as the birthright. The oldest son would receive what is known as the birthright ordinarily. But as we've seen, Israel is no ordinary man. Within Israel, now this is going to get a little technical, but I want you to pay close attention. Within Israel, there was a twofold blessing that resided in Israel. Israel meaning Jacob. Israel had received, Jacob had received the covenant blessing of Abraham. And it, within this covenant blessing of Abraham, there are, are two sides to it. When you think of the Abrahamic covenant, you must think of it as a, a two-sided coin. It, it is one coin, but it contains two separate aspects to it. There is a physical aspect to this covenant, and there is a spiritual aspect to this covenant. The physical, if you were to look to the physical side of the coin, what would it be? Well, God promised Abraham that he would be blessed. And God promised Abraham that his name in this world would be great, that he would have a, a great name. And, and Abraham does. He has a great name in this world. God promised Abraham physically that he would create from a great nation, that his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. That physical promise came to reality. There are many descendants of Abraham. God promised that he would give Abraham and his descendants a land, a physical land, the land of Canaan. That promise came to pass as well. And that through Abraham, there would be one who would rise that would bless nations. And we have also seen this as well. Joseph blessed many nations by uh, being wise and storing up food so that those who were going through hunger would be saved through his wisdom. Um, that's the physical side of this covenant promise. Remember, within Israel, Jacob, there are two sides. Jacob has both the physical and the spiritual. So then what is the spiritual? The spiritual side of the coin is that God would make Abraham's name great. And has the name of Abraham been great spiritually? Well, yes. And how so? Not because of Judaism. That's important to emphasize. The name of Abraham has been great because someone has risen from Abraham who is greater than Abraham. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Abraham is our father. How is Abraham our father, my son asked during our worship in Romans? 
Abraham is our father in that Abraham sets the example of how one is saved. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul says before any work in his flesh, before any work done in his hands, Abraham believed God. And because of his faith in God, he was made righteous by God. He therefore becomes our example of what it means to be righteous and how one can become righteous, not through our works, but through our faith in God alone. Abraham shows us what is required to be accepted as righteous before God. Someone may ask you, what is required of me? What must I do? As Nicodemus asked, what must I do to be saved? What work can I work? And the question is, no work. Only faith. The only thing that you can do is nothing. Isn't that wonderful? What can I do? Nothing. Place your faith in Christ. How do I do that? He does that. What do you mean he does that? If you have faith, it's been given to you. Even the faith you have isn't your own faith. It's been given to you by God. He gives what He requires so that you might be saved. So, dear one, if you have faith, praise be to God, He gave it to you. Did you deserve it? No. Did you work for it? Not in the least. God, in His mercy and in His grace and in His love for you, gives you something you did not earn and that you could not repay. And guess what? He had given it to you before the foundation of the world. He loved you before you loved Him. And here is Abraham, our great example of what it means to be saved. He makes his name great and he makes him into a great nation. How does he make Abraham into a great spiritual nation? Uh, Raise your hand if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You are a descendant of Abraham. Oh, if we could say around the entire world that there was a bullhorn that could speak to the entire world at one time and say, raise your hand if you have placed your faith in Christ alone. Can you imagine the hands that would go up around the world? We are, as Paul says, we are true Israel. He says, not all Israel is Israel. Only Israel, the only true Israel are those who have placed their faith in Christ and Israel. When asked to give an account for who is your faith in, all across the world, our hands would go up. We are true Israel. He has made us. He's made out of Abraham this great nation. Well, then what about the land? How can the land be spiritual? Dear ones, where are you going when you die? Where are you going? When you die, where will you be? You will go to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom. You will go to a land of rest. You will go to a land of peace. You will go to a land of comfort. And you and I have been promised that if we are in Christ, that we will be resurrected. And that we will go to what is known as the new Jerusalem. The new city of God. It's the place that God gives to all those who are in Christ. It is heavenly Canaan. That's the spiritual side. And again, bless the nations. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ who will rise from Abraham. Now, we must imagine this from Jacob. In Jacob, there's both. He has the physical blessing and Jacob also has the spiritual blessing. And now Jacob is gathering his sons. And he is going to tell them who has the physical and who has the spiritual. We've already said and saw in chapter 48... Who's received the physical? Do you remember that toward the end of the chapter? We didn't deal with it because we're going to deal with it next week. He's already given the physical blessing to one of his sons. Anybody know who that is? Joseph. Joseph has already received something. I'm getting ahead of myself. Who will it be? Verse number one. Let's read this together again. Who will receive the blessing? And take the leadership amongst the various tribes of Israel. Verse number one. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves, that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to your father Israel. Reuben, he begins. 
Reuben, you are my firstborn. Imagine the scene. Here are these 12 men and they are gathering in a semicircle. They are gathering around their dying father, the patriarch of their family. They're gathering around to hear these final words and these final blessings. But their father was not just a man, was he? He's God's man. He was Israel, the prince of God. He did not always act as a prince. He did not always conduct himself as a prince and lead his family in the way that he should have. He did not always set the right example. He did not always warn and lead as he should have. But nevertheless, he was God's man and he was the prince of God. So the question really is this, who will carry on the royal scepter? Who will carry on this royal uh, dynasty that God has entrusted into Israel? And Israel was not just a prince, but he was a prophet. In verse 1 and 2, Israel would declare to his children... Even to his distant children, children, the things that were to come. He was not just a father who had an inkling of what may happen in the future. As he was approaching the heavenly city of God, he was given insight by God as to that which will be behold and befall his sons. He speaks not on his own account. But he is the mouthpiece of God in his final moments to declare those things which will affect you and me and even those sons. Or I should say the sons and even you and me. So if you've already imagined these 12 sons in their father's dying chamber. Imagine yourself there now too. Because these words will not just affect them. They will affect you and I. As well. Uh, therefore, we should be listening. Our ears should be perked up and we should be longing to see what this prophet of God has to say, not just for his sons, but for all of us as well. And so this prince and this prophet turns to his firstborn son, Reuben, and begins to tell him what God says. Now, will Reuben take the scepter? Will Reuben receive the inheritance that, that rightfully belongs to him? Let's be clear. Reuben's firstborn. Because of his birthplace, he rightfully, according to the custom of the day, he rightfully and legally was entitled to the birthright. And there would be no dispute or debate if it was given to him. But God does not operate according to man's Customs, does he? We've seen that over and over again. He does all of his holy will. Uh, no one can say to God, what have you done? And then he begins with Reuben. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. My might and the beginning of my strength. It all began with you, Reuben. It all started with you, Reuben. Don't you know firstborns who think so highly of themselves? I'm related to one. It all began with you. It all began with you, Reuben. My, my might and my strength. He says, Reuben, you were preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. This is who you are. First, most powerful. And upon hearing this, you might, one might think, wow, Reuben's going to get it. Reuben is sitting, standing amongst the twelve and you kind of might imagine, you know, because sometimes the first always are privileged in some kind of way. The other sons looking at them like, yeah, of course it's going to be Reuben, isn't it? But then, but then Israel carries on, doesn't he? He says to him, you are uncontrolled like water. You shall not have preeminence. What a shot in the heart that must have been for Reuben. It's supposed to be his. You can imagine sometimes when some of our family members pass and they leave inheritances and you get none of it. 
You didn't get a dime. You didn't get a screw from the uh, toolbox. You didn't get a washer. Not one thing goes to you. They won't even so much save you a shoelace. It's all gone. The wolves come when someone dies. They just come and start ravaging all of the things. And here is Reuben standing there thinking it should all be his. And all of a sudden he gets nothing. But it's not because his brothers have come in and, and ravaged all of the inheritance. It's because the prophet of God says, from God's own mouth. It's as if, as Israel speaking, God is speaking. Reuben, you are not entitled to this inheritance. It won't be yours. Now listen to the sides. Neither the physical side is yours, nor is the spiritual side. It's not going to come through you. Now, was Reuben a believer? We do believe that they showed evidences of repentance. But he will not receive the spiritual blessing and that the Messiah will come through him. And he will not receive the physical blessing and that kings will rise from him either. He goes on to say, why? What's the reason for this? Because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. Reuben, for a number of reasons, over and over again though, attempted to usurp the authority and leadership of his father. He did this one time by taking one of Israel's concubines as his own wife and laying with her. And in doing so, it was a direct a challenge to the authority of his father Israel. It was like saying, I'm going to sleep with your wife. Do something about it. And because of Reuben's sin against his father, uh, attempting to breach his, his father's authority, he has been removed from the place of preeminence. He's been removed from the right to have the birthright. And it will not be his. You remember Reuben when uh, Joseph was calling for the sons of Israel to bring back Benjamin. Israel said, not a chance. You will not take my son. Do you remember what Reuben said? Father, I'll bring back Reuben safely. And if I don't, you can have my two sons. You can use my two sons as collateral. He did not offer his own life. He offered his son's lives. Later we will see Judah does the opposite. He doesn't offer anyone. He offers himself. The Reuben, although it may have seemed at first uh, sound, uh, hearing as something noble, was something selfish and sinful. He's had ingrained instability. And he will not receive what was he, what he was rightfully intended to receive. Israel speaking on the behalf, behalf of God says, no kings will rise from you. No inheritance belongs to you. No leaders. It will not be Reuben. What a disappointing final word from your father. Well, then let's go to the next sons, the next in order. What about Simeon? What about Levi? It's interesting that Simeon and Levi are grouped or coupled together. He says, Simeon and Levi. They may have been twins. I don't think so. But they were at least so close together that and, and close in terms of relationship that Israel groups them together. They were, if you will, brothers in arms or as we might say on the east side, partners in crime. Together, they destroyed a people after they raped, after one person raped their sister. They destroyed the entire people. They were violent men. Israel describes them as men of wrath, men of anger. So angry were they that he says, I don't even want to be in the midst of their council because whatever they suggest will most likely be violent. Simeon and Levi, who presumably have been together in everything, God says, I will eventually scatter you. You two have worked together 
in all sorts of things, you will be broken apart. You will be scattered. You will be dispersed. The scepter then won't go to Reuben, not to Simeon, and not to Levi. So then we come to the fourth son. We come now to Judah. And Judah steps forward. And Israel tells him what will become of him. In verse 8 he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Praise Judah? You remember what Judah was like. You remember how he had fallen so far. We might expect Israel to highlight his failures with his daughter-in-law. You remember, he took her as a prostitute. He slept with her. And then when it was found out that she was pregnant by him, Judah was willing to put her to death because of a sin that he also was guilty of. And when it was revealed that he was the father of that son. He said, she is more righteous than I. He knew that he was unrighteous. He knew that he needed a righteousness that was not within him. Oh, and we've seen so much change in the, in the man Judah. Judah comes back to the house of Israel. He submits to his father's leadership. He is one of wisdom and, and good counsel in times of difficulty. He even offers up his own life in order to save his brother Benjamin. Judah was a changed man. Anytime there was any kind of difficulty, it seems, after uh, Judah returns home, Judah is always there and always offering guidance, always offering wisdom. Judah, your brother's shall praise you. Speaking on behalf of God, Israel says, I give to you the scepter of God. I give to you the kingship of God. The scepter shall not depart from your house. It was as if Israel was saying to Judah, Judah, you, you are the man. And he is offering to him the spiritual blessing. Remember, that's the two-sided aspect of the blessing of Abraham. He's giving to Judah now the spiritual side of the blessing. Judah, you will be praised. Judah's past sins, were they worthy of praise? Not in the least. Why will Judah be praised? If he's not earned anything in his life, if he's not done any, anything in his life to be praised, because God has chosen Judah. It once again shows us that there's nothing that man can do to be chosen by God. God decides who he will choose. And he decides that from Judah, one will, ra- will be raised who will be praised. You remember what, remember what Judah's name means, right? After Leah had three sons, Jacob would not love her. But finally, after her fourth son, she says, this time, I will praise the Lord. I will name him Judah. My, my, my husband Jacob has not loved me after Simeon. He's not loved me, or Reuben, after Simeon or Levi. He's still not shown love to me. But regardless of the love that my husband is not giving to me, with this son, I will now praise the Lord. He will be called Judah. And Jacob says to Judah in his final moments, and Judah, you are praised. You shall be the scepter will be coming from your house. You are like a lion. Lions are known for their power and he will be a lion in his history. There will be a period of time in the history of judges when Judah shows itself to be a leader, to be decisive. Later, Judah will be show himself to be mature in leadership. And then from Judah will rise a man named David. And David will show himself to be a warrior, to be a soldier. And then from David will rise one named Solomon. And Solomon will show himself to be wise and discerning, an experienced, mature lion. Judah will be powerful. And Judah will always be a prince. 
in the line of Judah, there will always be a succession of kings. There still reigns in Judah a king today. It's from Judah that the kings of Israel rise one after another. Israel, the prince, he extends his royal scepter to Judah and says, through you, kings will rise one after another. He gives to Judah the royal legacy. Now, these are words of a dying man. But they're words that are full of life. A dying man, but not dying words. Living words. Words that are pointing forward to a royal life in Judah. But these words were not just for Judah, were they? They are for you and for me here today. Israel was departing. But as he was departing, he's given a vision of someone who will come. And one who will remain. Israel is given the privilege to look behind the veil of God. And to see what God will accomplish. Through this one who will rise through Judah. He's given the spiritual blessing of Abraham. Through Judah. Judah. The seed who would crush the serpent's head, conquer in death, rule in resurrection would come by way of Judah. But then he says these words in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Let's move on now to our second point. Uh, The scepter is pictured. This is verse 10 that we've just read. In the sentence we have uh, a scripture verse. We have two pictures. Uh, The first is that of a scepter. The second is that of a staff. That's laid at the feet of this lion. Now, you know already what the scepter is. It's it's royal. It's something uh, for kings. Now, what is this staff at the feet of? Of this king. The staff. Was like that of a shepherd. What do shepherds do? Shepherds most often lead, don't they? They guide. Not only would this royal official. Who would come from Judah. Not only would he be. A royal dignitary. But he would be a shepherding leader. Now, let me ask you this. How do we lead? How do pastors lead? With what? We lead with our staff. What is the staff of the shepherd? Spiritually speaking, it is the word of God. And so this royal, this royal king who would rise from Judah would rule with a royal scepter and lead with God's holy word. Judah would lead royally, but he would also be leading through the word of God. He would be leading through God's holy and inerrant word. There would be one to rise. His name was Levi. Or from the tribe of Levi. And they would hold the law of God. And lead people through the law of God. And through dark times when Judah was experiencing difficulties. When there was no king in all of Israel. Judah led by way of leading people to the law and to the word of God. And then when kings rose through David and through Solomon. And through through, uh, kings who would come after him. They would lead most often when they did what? When they walked in the ways of God. Kings would rise and they would say, but they did not walk in the ways of their father. But when good kings rose, it was because they not only were rulers, but because they followed God's law. Let me say to you that God's law still remains today. That we have a king who leads us in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he does not just rule over us. He rules over us with his with his scepter and his staff. 
And the staff is His perpetual law. It is the Word of God that will not cease and that will not be, be, uh, be abrogated, be abolished. His Word stands forever. We, hear, we have this in our walk with Christ, don't we? We have both the Gospel of Christ and we have the law of Christ that leads us and guides us in all that we do. Israel says that this will happen. That Israel should be looking forward to this. Uh, the sons of Israel should be looking forward to this kind of leadership until there is a break in that leadership. A break in that leadership. How so? The scepter will some at some point depart from Israel or from Judah. Let's discuss now when that happens in our third point. That is, the scepter is present. He says, until Shiloh comes, verse 10, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Let's discuss this Shiloh. There will rise one whose name is Shiloh, and he will come. What does Shiloh mean? From the scriptures, we have not seen this word Shiloh until now. Through the prophecies of Christ in Genesis, we have been given different aspects of what he will do, who he is. But up until this time, we have not been given his name. If we think of the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, he is the seed through whom God would bless the nations, the, the seed that will conquer the evil one. But his name is not seed, although he is the seed. And now here from the lips of this dying prophet, uh, we are given a name for this one that we are to, to expect. And his name is Shiloh. Isn't that wonderful that the Lord, he waits until now to give Jacob the name of the Savior. Why is that important? If you can remember back, there was a time when Jacob was separated from all of his family. When he had sent all of his possessions across the ford of Jabbok. And while he was there that night, he wrestled alone with a man who came to him, who overcame him. And through their grappling match, through their wrestling match, there was one thing that Jacob asked the man. Do you remember what he, what he asked him? What is your name? And the, the angel of the Lord, who was a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, says to him, Why do you want to know my name? Why do you ask me my name? And he doesn't tell him. That night when the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, knocks the, the hip out of its socket of Jacob, he refuses to tell him his name. The name remains sealed. And now here, here is Jacob preparing to enter that angel of the Lord's house, the Lord Jesus Christ, and just before he enters, the owner of the house says, by the way, before you come in, my name is Shiloh. And tell your sons that I'm coming. The first time it appears, and what a beautiful name it is, isn't it? Some of you soon to be mothers one day may say, I think I like Shiloh. <laughs> Meaning he whose right it is. Meaning the one to whom the scepter belongs. Meaning it rightfully belongs to him. Israel tells his sons, Shiloh is coming. Judah, the scepter is given to you until Shiloh, the one who it belongs to, comes to take it. Oh, dear saints, this would have been a word for all of the people of Israel. 
that the royal kingdom will endure until Shiloh comes to take his rightful place as ruler over Israel. Ezekiel speaks of the coming Messiah as the one who has the right to the crown, the right to the throne. Shiloh, he whose right it is. And it's pictured in the book of Revelation, isn't it? Who can open the scroll? John is is emotional. He is crying because there is no one who has the power or the right to open the scroll. Until one comes, the Lamb, He who was dead but who was alive forevermore, He appears. And the Scriptures say, He alone has the right to open the scrolls. He alone is the royal one who comes with the scepter, the one who owns it and who it rightfully belongs to. There's a, there's a name written on that scepter, that royal scepter. And the name written on there is Shiloh. All authority belongs to him. All rule belongs to him. But Shiloh also means this. Rest. Shiloh means the rule belongs to him and the one who gives rest. The rest giver. Isaiah 9 speaks of the prince who carries the government on his shoulders. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We're getting ready to celebrate the advent, aren't we? But you need not wait for December 25th to celebrate the royal one who gives peace. Many kings arose. Many rulers arose. And they claimed to give peace, to restore peace. They promised to give peace to nations. But their promises always fail, don't don't they? We have a newly, presumably a newly elected president. What are they pushing for? Can they give it? Has any earthly king, prince, president, and any other principality been able to give peace? Not in the least. It will not be with this president or the next president Should God, Terry, or the next president, should God, or the next president, or king, or whatever this becomes of this country, there will only be peace in Shiloh. Only peace in Christ alone. He is the one whose very name is peace. And he will not fail. And it's not just a name. It is a description of who he is. And he's not distant. Israel says he will come. Shiloh will come. He calls his sons and he calls you and I to have eyes to look forward to the coming of Shiloh. It will continue for a time. The scepter will be held in different people's hands for a time. Until the one who it rightfully belongs to comes and takes it back. And did you know there was a time when the scepter was taken from Shiloh or was taken from Judah? The the government of Judah ended for a time when Herod rose, making himself king over Israel. He took the throne and he attempted to take that which was not his from Judah. The Jewish rabbis say that when Herod placed himself upon the throne, the Jewish patriots, they ran through the streets. And do you know what they were saying as they ran through the streets? Not not the British are coming. Not the redcoats are coming. When they ran through the streets, they said, Woe to us! For the scepter has departed from Judah and the lawgiver from his feet. They felt it. They knew it. Here is this Edomite taking That which does not belong to him. That which he had no right to. But that moment ushered in the arrival of Shiloh. 
An Edomite comes to take that which does not belong to him. And the one whom it rightfully belongs to comes and says, I don't think so. Not yours. And you would think that in this moment of despair that they would have anticipated his coming. But rather they they despaired. They said, we're doomed now. Rather than looking up to heaven, saying, praise God that he's coming. Someone has stolen his, his scepter. Praise God. Then Shiloh is at our doorstep. Those to whom the law had been given did not even believe. But there were a few. But the scriptures tell us about wise men, don't they? Who come not from Israel, but come from the east. I said to the class this morning, why were they wise? Why were they called wise men? Because they believed God's word. Because they had known that this rising of Herod meant the rising of Shiloh. Oh, and they searched for him, didn't they? They searched far and wide so they might pay homage and worship the king, the rightful king. Herod even believed. Herod even believed in the prophecy. For he said, let me know also when you find him. That I may too worship him. Only to, to search for the city. And send ravenous wolves through that city. To destroy every little boy born. Why? He's trying to destroy the one whose, whose throne he was sitting on. He's trying to destroy the one whose scepter he's taken. The Gentiles believe. Herod believed. Shiloh came to his own, didn't he? He came from heaven to earth to those whom he made, to those whom were his own and his own received him not. He was a king, but his kingdom was not of this world. Those of this world would not have them as his their rightful king. They chose a murderer Barabbas over the rightful holy one of God. They claimed we have no king but Caesar. Did you know that in the Passion of the Christ, that's one of the phrases that Israel wanted, that the Jewish community wanted to be eliminated from that movie. So when you watch the movie, and I don't encourage that you do, there's a moment in the uh, subtitles where they say something in Hebrew or Aramaic, whatever it is, but it's not subtitled because they're saying, we have no king but Caesar. Because the Jews today still... Have no king but Caesar. And they refuse to acknowledge it. Christ is king, but they refuse to acknowledge him as king. And what does Christ, Shiloh as it were, what does he say? He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you like a hen gathers his chicks, but you were unwilling. And we must say to ourselves, would we have done any different? Are we doing any different? Is Christ our king? Would we be among the mob who says crucify him? We have no king but Caesar. Well, some of us do that in our daily lives, don't we? We are more consumed with what's going on. We know more about Joe Biden and Donald Trump than we know about Jesus Christ. We can tell us more. We can tell someone more about the background of Donald Trump and Kamala Harris than we can about the background of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can give more details about Donald Trump and Mike Pence and whoever else might be a running mate in the four years to the future than we can about the Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds to me like some people who are claiming Christ are saying in actuality with their lives, I have no king but whoever's president of the United States. We are consumed, consumed with the matters and affairs of this passing world. Who is your king? Who is your Shiloh? You remember what they asked him? Are you a king? My kingdom is not of this world. Oh, so then you are a king. It is as you say. 
crucify the king? What did they put above his cross? Jesus, king of the Jews. Whether they wanted to or not, they had to acknowledge he is the king. Whether they thought they were doing it in jest or in mockery, they acknowledged him as king. Shiloh is king. The man who was crucified alongside of him, what did he say to him? This man is innocent. And when he looks at the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Remember me when you come into your your kingdom. Shiloh is king. It was in his death that Christ was the perfect Shiloh. The perfect king. And the destroyer of all enmity against God, bringing peace Stealing, removing the sting of death. And he is now crowned in his resurrection, isn't he? The scepter in his hand, exalted forever. He is king of kings, lord of lords. There will never fail to be a king who sits on the throne of Judah. Because the rightful king has come. And to his kingdom, the scripture says, there is no end. What we needed most, God provided. God provided the peace that we needed in the person and work of Christ. And we rejoice because Shiloh has come. And he calls all of those who are weary and heavy laden. All of those who are weary with guilt and sin. He come, he calls them to come to him and he promises to give you who come to him in faith rest for your weary souls. He nails our penalty there at the cross. The question is, is he your Shiloh? Is he your king and your rest to giver? I pray that he is. And finally, in closing, the scepter will prevail. Verse 10, the last time. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor from the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience, listen to this, of The people's S. The first half of this verse is largely dealt with in the Jews before the coming of Christ. In the coming of Christ himself. But this dying prophet sees further than just the initial arrival of Christ. He looks into the last days. Our last days. And he sees him that shall gather. Not just people. All the peoples. All the peoples who listen. One question you should ask. You should ask the Bible questions when you read. Who are all the peoples? They are all the peoples for whom Shiloh has come for. They are not every single person without distinction. They are every single person that are distinctively his. Shiloh will gather the peoples. Wherever the gospel is preached, he stands with his scepter. And he stands with his staff. And he calls them from every corner of the world, the peoples, the nations, to come To the only one who can save them, you, me, from judgment from God. He did not only come for those twelve who descended from the twelve tribes of Israel. We do not need to promote ourselves on street corners like I saw yesterday in downtown Chester. Pretending that we are some kind of lost tribe of Israel. In order to be accepted by God. You don't need to be a physical descendant. A physical descendant. A a physical lost tribe or tribe of Israel. In order to be accepted by God. You need to place your faith in God. In order to be accepted by God. It's not by blood. It's not by work. It's not by the man who wills or the man who works. It's by Christ who gives faith to all the peoples who are his. What a shame. We saw them in in Harlem. They wanted to kill your boy. Well, they 
were at least hostile toward me when I entered their place of worship. Tony can tell you more about that story. What makes you one of the peoples of God? Faith alone. And Israel sees scattered nations, scattered peoples, walking about in darkness of sin, being shown a great light. And coming by faith to that light to be saved. You are, you are a part of those peoples that Israel sees. Oh, that should do something to your soul. That when Israel is on his dying bed. And when he's speaking these final words of a people coming to Shiloh. He's being used by God to speak about you. You are a part of those peoples, those nations that have come to Shiloh. Dear saints, what does that do for your own soul? To know that you were thought of in Genesis chapter 49 on Israel's dying bed. You were therefore given an inheritance. It was as if you were among those 12 sons. And he's saying, and for you. For you, your king and your rest giver will come. Imagine us gathering into that room. All of us. And for you, Armando. For you, Ralph. And for you, Ophelia, your king will come. Your rest giver will come. And we might say, like Reuben, or like Judah, me? You mean I, I'm receiving a portion of this inheritance? The best portion of the inheritance? Because the physical will go to Joseph. It will only be temporal. The spiritual that's going to Judah will last for eternity. And Israel's saying, and you have part in that. It's yours. I did no good. I know. I didn't seek God. I know. I ran from his presence. I know. I, I'm a prodigal. I know. But Shiloh is your king. And he will make peace where there has been war between you and God. He will awaken your spiritual senses so that you will know and come to God. We've been carrying around broken scepters, haven't we? We've been trying to rule our own lives. We have been saying, we have no king, not but Caesar, but ourselves. I'm king. We've attempted to rob God from his own glory. And we have, by the grace of God, been made known the weight and shame and judgment of our sin. We have been brought to our senses by the grace of God to know that in my father's house, why am I, why am I rummaging around in the mud with these pigs, with this swine in my father's house? There's plenty of room. In my father's house, even the servants are treated well. I'll go back home. I'll go back home and ask my father, Father, please forgive me. I have sinned against you. And what was that? It was you were being irresistibly drawn by the Spirit of God. He had taken a lasso and thrown it around your heart, as it were. And you were being slowly drawn to Him. That's why you're here today, I pray. Because God is still drawing you closer, isn't He? You can't get away as much as you try to turn from it. It always turns you right back to Him. You have a new desire, a longing for Him. You've been given a love for Him that you can't even explain. A longing for Him that, that sometimes wanes. That sometimes is not what you know it should be. And then all of a sudden, it's once again, I know I love Him. I know I need Him. 
He's my rock of ages, the one I go to for refuge. He's the double cure for my sin. And he says, come to me. And all the peoples are gathering. When you sit in this room, we are representing the peoples, the nations of the world who gather here and who will eventually in the future gather there. And we will exalt the peace giver, the ruler of our hearts. He's the prince of peace who makes peacemakers. I ask you this morning in closing, are you in Shiloh? Or are you still scattered among the nations? Come to him. Ask him to hide you under his wings. Ask him to be your shelter. Your shelter in the storm. When your time to depart comes, I pray that like Israel, Shiloh will be on your lips. Let's pray.